Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. This is uh, another in our special from the uh, Craft of Comedy uh, conference in Clandidno. I think we should get our guest. I'm James Carey. Hello. We should get our guest to say Clandidno properly because yeah. she is okay. a fluent well speaker. It's Clandidno. Clandidno. You put the tongue on the top of your mouth and blow. Okay. Which is Thank a bit you. like a Casablanca yes. quote. Yes. Not. <laughs> okay. Good. So, um, the, who is our mysterious voice there? Well, this is uh, joining us uh, today, as well as our producer Katie, is uh, Sean Ed William. Hello. Sean Ed is the. Uh, comedy commissioner probably who commissions more comedy than any other comedy commissioner in the world I would think so everybody keeps telling me yeah. yes <laughs> and that is a comedy commissioner for Radio 4 so uh, delighted to uh, have you here with us Shona now you've been you've been just about just under a year or so now that's right yeah I started last March March 15 right okay and uh, of course it had been uh, Caroline Raphael had been in charge for what Many years, that's right, yeah. Years or so, yeah. so, so, so there's a um, she, she'd established um, the precedent and she'd got the various uh slots in place as well. And so, that's right, yeah. so you kind of it's a sort of fairly smooth changeover, wasn't it? But um, yes, yes. So what, what did you what did you think when you came in? Is it like kind of hands off, or are there things that, that you thought you really wanted to bring in? Um, well, it's a gradual process because Caroline had commissioned, um, you know, possibly about a year in advance. So I've had a bit of time to really look at the slate, as it were, and work out what I like and what the audience like and what uh, perhaps I think I don't like. So there are a few programmes that I've got rid of um, that, that, you know, subjectively I didn't like or didn't feel had their place. Um, I have to say, Caroline set the bar unbelievably high. She was a brilliant commissioner and she brought a range of voices and stories to Radio 4 that is extraordinary. So um, it, it's like being, it also being allowed to, um, you know, the verse, how can I even say the name of the sweet now? You know that ridiculous sweet shop, caramel sweet shop that exists only in commercials? Um, it, it, it's the radio equivalent of that. It's full of just the most fantastic performers, writers, um, producers, people who love comedy, mm. and it's in its purest form. What is not to love? Absolutely. Mm. Now, I was a question on that. Is there stuff that you don't like? Do you need to like everything? I don't think you do need to like everything. There's definitely stuff on Radio 4 that doesn't make me laugh, but it makes a large and appreciative audience laugh. Mm -hmm. um, I think as a professional, you should be analytical about comedy. You should laugh at things wholeheartedly and with joy, but you don't laugh at everything. Mm. Um, and I think uh, that's actually what grown-ups do, yes. is they're, they're able to analyse uh, comedy material, uh, like the Americans can do, um, brilliantly, and say... This is the best of its kind. May not make me laugh personally, yeah. but it's got a very loyal audience and it's performing the best it, it can be performing mm. at the moment. I think that's very important. Because yeah. your background is, is very much in producing uh, comedy yeah. and you, you've produced big mainstream shows. Yes. I mean, obviously yeah. a show like Big Train is the uh, first train. one. That, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. What an amazing show. mind. But, um, you know, you've... you've um, so it's it's not like you've just kind of come walked in off the street. As it were. <laughs> well, there was a bit of that going or a on. Former as well, head of I BBC think. photocopying and moved yeah. sideways into radio. <laughs> well, comedy. I tried for that gig, but I didn't <laughs> yeah, get it. Yeah, it's yeah. very fierce. Yeah, it was too slow in yeah, my. Um, right. do, you, do you still find that uh, you're, uh, you're 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 kind of applying the kind of criteria that you were using? 
Well, I, I think, um, yes, to a certain extent, because when you produce um, situation comedies, which I've made an awful lot of, actually, I was thinking, mm -hmm. listening to the session we've just been to, that I've actually made lots of sitcoms, uh, mainstream shows, and I love the process. It's incredibly gratifying. Um, but it's the same thing that you look for. Is the is the writing tightly? Uh, is it as tightly wrought as it could be? Are the performances as true as they can be? Um, it, does this somehow, do we connect with this? Does it resonate mm. as much as it could? These are the questions you ask of comedy because in the end, you wanted to sort of shine a light on the human condition, whether it's mm. about people who are greedy, people who are stupid, people who think one thing about themselves and the reality is the yeah. opposite. Mm. These are the kind of tropes, to use a word I loathe, but nevertheless, sure. it's quite useful in this context. It's a polite version of the word cliche. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, these yeah. are the Just things... Just like saying like, disingenuous <laughs> is a polite word for <laughs> yes. lying. Yeah. it's so true. Yeah. But um, these are the things that you, yeah. you try and look out for and make those connections. Mm -hmm. But of course, cliches are the great... Uh, the, 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 the great comedies are cliches, you know. The, the but cliches with death. Square peg yeah. in a round hole. <laughs> yeah, fish out of water. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, we we read some scripts for this podcast. Um, we reread the first ten pages. We have a thing called the ten page uh, challenge, and so you must read a lot of scripts as well, which are presumably produced at a relatively higher level than the in stuff this, that we're in this seeing. job. Yeah. Yes. But even then, what what are you finding that what mistakes are you thinking people are making, or what? Are there any general rules of thumb or just like, ugh, another one? Our big thing is after 10 pages, nothing's actually happened. <sighs> Um, or, well, that you know. doesn't always matter, of course. You know, um, Seinfeld was a comedy about nothing, wasn't it? Don't ruin our theory. <laughs> oh, it was about I everything. It was about I, everything. I can even was, say that. But you don't always have to have <laughs> ma massive plots. It can be um, a, a profoundly entertaining conversation about something. Or, But I suppose something has to change, I think. Uh, whether somebody becomes more powerful in that conversation, for mm. example, or whether something that is set up at the beginning of the conversation is beautifully unraveled mm. by the end of it. Uh, it doesn't actually have to be plot, but there does have to be uh, some sort of change of tone or character or um, or uh, or realization. Mm. And I think that's the thing. It's about being entertained. It's about engaging completely. You don't have to like the characters, but you do have to care what happens next to them. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, Chekhov was possibly the first great sitcom writer. Um, nothing much happened in his shows. People were always saying they were going to go to Moscow, but they never did. Actually, <laughs> what they did was they sat around arguing about love and about and, and, and dreaming of doing something but never quite managing it and you could argue Beckett uses the same kind of mechanism Pinto as well yeah, yeah. great and, and what happens in between the words uh, the subtext is a very important thing in sitcom um, and especially on radio as especially well. on radio the, yeah the sound is everything of course do you, you find I mean the other thing about radio though is the beauty the thing I love about it is that you can you can do things that you just couldn't do on TV. I was saying to somebody in one of the breaks earlier how, um, you know, Old Harry's Game is a yeah. fantastic sitcom. And you just know that if you did it on TV, it would either look awful or it would look so good that it would cease to be funny. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, really... I think there's an even more fundamental thing, which is something like Claire in the Community, which I made a pilot for, for, for ITV, in fact. And... Um, the, uh, it was interesting, it began to bother you that they were social workers right? and that they were rather inept. And similarly, I think if you had made ca Cabin Pressure for telly, uh, which is one of the great, great radio shows, would it have begun to bother you that these idiots were flying planes? I think probably it might have done. Yeah. Sometimes when you imagine it, and also radio sitcom can be highly literate, densely written, 
sometimes you have to unpack that a bit for television. Mm. So there, it's a very different genre, I think, mm. and makes different demands on the realism of the piece. Mm. Having said all that, though, one of the joys of radio is if you want to set something on a, a spaceship, you can. Mm. Yeah. Um, or if do you, you feel that people do make enough uh, use of that as they could do? Because with radio, you really can go anywhere and do anything. Or do you think, actually, if anything, people tend to rely on that too heavily? Well, yeah, and I there's don't not enough of a human story I don't there. think it's a virtue in itself. I don't really care. I think, in the end, is it a funny idea about characters that I engage with? That's my bottom line. I don't really care where it's set. I don't really have rules, per se, because I think whenever you have a rule about comedy, somebody breaks it brilliantly um, with great imagination and originality. But I think what I always look for is some sort of engagement with character. Um, I think if you can also have, like, the Americans do so brilliantly, characters who speak in epigrammatic one-liners, in, in pithy, beautifully wrought lines mm. that actually make you laugh because they're constructed to do so. They're called jokes, Jane. <laughs> I don't right. know if you remember I these things no that used idea to be in British comedy. What you're but talking about. Yeah. Jokes are phenomenally important, I think. But pithy, the pithy, pithy epigrammatic yeah. phrases. They are. And um, they relate yeah. to character. They're not transferable a lot of the time, although yeah. sometimes they can yeah. be, but they emanate from character and attitude. Are you to do when I used to write think the unthinkable a long, long time ago. There was a, there was one I think there was one particular occasion where I just thought, oh, I tell you, would be really funny if somebody said this. Oh, the only person who would say that is Owen. He's not in this scene, right? <laughs> I've got to get him into this scene so that he can do a joke because <laughs> none of the others could do it. Um, that, so but that's, uh, that's the mark of good writing. <laughs> well, you would hope so. Um, I heard an interview that you did uh, on uh, feedback on Radio Four. Oh yes. And you you mentioned that you're kind of not afraid to have uh, kind of quite, not not difficult, but challenging, more challenging narratives in the 630 yes, slot. Yes, that, um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's our flagship slot. Anecdotally, it's the one that everybody hears. So I think we should have the best and funniest shows in that slot. I don't mind whether they've got an audience or not. Um, Ed Reardon's Week, which I think is one of the funniest shows we've got, again, brilliantly written, mm. uh, has Ten hits series, its target it? so surely every time. Very funny characters and a wonderful central character. But that doesn't have an audience, but that plays beautifully at half past six. And yeah. um, um, I, I so think is that, that, that's so fine. There was, a, there was a policy that at 6.30 you're not looking for sitcom. I'm not sure, actually. I, you have to ask Caroline about okay. that. I, I've got a feeling that she had a stronger view than I did about an audience that the, the, the thesis and not uh, not an unreasonable one that at 6.30 people are driving cooking dinner you know mm. that you need a bit of noise to grab their attention but I feel that when you're in the car uh, and I've, I've got this fantasy which I said on feedback actually which is that like I've done in the past you don't want to get out of the car you've got home you're still waiting yeah. um, because you don't want to get out before the show's ended yeah, yeah. you know and you, you're at 7 o'clock but you, you're just going to wait which, till the end which of it. weirdly I was actually driving when I was listening to this <laughs> interview on <laughs> and I did actually have to stay. I knew I was going to be talking to you here anyway, but I did actually have to stay in the car listening to your until your interview finished. And but uh, that is a sort of one of the great kind of joys of of radio. Um, the other thing, just the last thing yeah. about the it, the downside is when you hear as a writer someone say, "Oh, it's six thirty. You need to bear in mind that people are washing up or cooking dinner or something." Oh, right, so you want me to make a radio show for people who aren't actually no, listening. I, I agree with and you there. So I agree that's, with you that's there. That's a paranoid writer in me who looks yeah. for the most negative version of Eddie possible I, I think brief. that's a really good point. I don't think it should be wallpaper in the back that you drift in and out of. Yeah. And I think the best comedies do far more than that. But um, I think you're right that the 6.30 is prime time 
yeah. Radio 4. And let's be honest about this, 6.30 Radio 4, that is getting... Three, four million people? Well, on Fridays you can get over two. Across the week there's about five or six listening to it. Yeah, tuning um, in. And so that's, out, yeah, that's already a, outperforming huge radio most habit. TV shows. Yeah, I mean, I did a show for Sky, which I don't think it got anywhere near that. And it was a, a big show, Yonderland, which I was very proud of. But it, it didn't get huge uh, ratings Um because it's on a limited platform, mm. you know, whereas Radio 4 is accessible to everyone and we do have a huge and loyal audience. And even at 11 o'clock at night, you can have a million people listening. Mm. And it is far more than an awful lot of comedy shows on telly. And what's interesting is that having now come back to radio after a long, long time in television, A, the utter joy of the simplicity of the process. So I'm not, I don't have 10, literally 10 sets of notes on each uh, cut that I had on certain shows I've done. Um, so it's a very simple process, which is very joyful when you've been subjected to the other. Um, but also, um, I think uh, there's a, a different listening habit amongst young people who like to curate radio. So they're much more uh, used now to listening to podcasts, selecting material that really makes them laugh. Um, and we are very much part of that revolution on Radio 4. The Radio 4 Friday evening comedy podcast is one of the most popular yeah. in Britain. Yeah. And I'm delighted about that because it means we've got a new generation of people coming. You can try things out. We're going to experiment with digital. Mm. And I feel we're somehow back at the cutting edge yeah. uh, in a way that we haven't been in quite a long time. Mm. There's that. There's the Friday night and the comedy of the week as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, and it's wonderful is, because you communicate with yeah. a huge audience. Yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. Now, you're... you're I mean, you're you're working with a, a range of, of people from like the sort of biggest names in comedy, and then uh, all the way uh, down to I say down, but to, to uh, people who are starting out, uh, the sort of news jack and uh, show what you wrote people. But beyond beyond those two shows, uh, how how do you feel you're bringing new talent along? Yeah, I, um, those are the two shows that are doing it at the moment. I think that's something that we need to look at again, actually. Um, yeah. One of the, the in-house comedy department, which is run by Julie McKenzie, which is a fantastic department, they're always scouting for new talent. So that's one way that new work comes in. And I think the indies now more and more are doing it because I think they can see the value of getting someone at the beginning of their careers and really nurturing them and, mm. and growing that talent. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think there are more open access ideas that we could look at. I mean, I haven't been offered any lately mm. because we do have the two stalwarts, one a topical show and one a sketch show but um it's not something i'm averse to at all because i think it's the lifeblood of the channel new writing and yeah. all the great writers started that way yeah so i i think it's really important mm. um the big question i suppose one of the big things that that, that uh vexes uh, james and i is uh the the developments over recent years where there were writers and there were performers and now there are writer performers and not so many writers. Or performer um, writers, as I've heard other people <laughs> yeah. call them before. Well, I, I'm yeah. married to a, a writer who is not a performer, and my father was a writer, so I understand this all too well, believe <laughs> right. me. Yeah. Um, our bank balance get, relies on this yeah. distinction. You, um, you I get think it is, about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really difficult one, and I, I, and I think it's partly back to this lack of respect, in a sense, for the art of writing mainstream comedy that we were talking about in the session just before this podcast. In America, you can make a living as a writer uh, on other people's shows uh, I think Joel or Jason mm. brought this up 
Um, there's an infrastructure. We used to have it in this country. You wrote uh, sketches. Marshall and Renwick, for example, wrote for the two Ronnies. You you started maybe uh, writing um, sketches on radio. Then you, you went to television. You learnt narrative skills. You wrote episodes of other sitcoms. Guy Jenkin and Andy Hamilton wrote Shelley, for example. Oh, the yes. Pythons wrote on the Doctor Doctors, shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, there was an infrastructure. You could make a living. You then become a lot more professional, to be honest with you, about your work. Because frankly, you're getting paid for it. Mm. So if somebody tells you to put a joke in the joke bank, you're happy to do it because mm. you'll know you'll probably get to use it another time. The, the, the problem, I think, and it's something that we in radio have to try and look at and, and really try and encourage is, yes, writers are the lifeblood and they need to have that infrastructure. It's something I'm talking to my colleagues in telly about. I, I, I haven't got to know them particularly well yet because it's still quite early days, but Shane and I have talked about this. And the value of investing in writers is, I think, does return money millionfold to yeah. the channel mm. because a hit sitcom is worth as much as any hit drama or any uh, any yeah. other genre and in fact will repay you a million times because you can repeat it and repeat it yeah, yeah. because fami familiarity is the friend of comedy yeah. so I don't need to be converted yeah. but what I think we need is money an investment and a sense of an infrastructure which is a professional attitude to writing there's one other point i want to make which is that mainstream comedy is really hard and uh, there's a slight sense sometimes amongst writers that writing mainstream is something second rate to want to do that's i think really misconceived to write Brooklyn Nine-Nine or The Big Bang Theory, and I'm going to America because actually that's where the mainstream shows are, or The Middle, which is a brilliant family mm. sitcom, hugely satirical. Or, I'm um, a Goldbergs fan myself. The Goldbergs mm. is another... Yeah. I've only just discovered The Goldbergs through my son this very weekend, um, recovering from seasickness in uh, the Silly Isles on Saturday afternoon. Oh, right. I watched four episodes of The Goldbergs. It's very easy to and watch. And it is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But what you have there are teams of writers who aren't sort of looking down on the idea of mainstream comedy they want to be there they want to write the funniest line mm. for that character they want to create the richest world for those people mm. and this is difficult this is not the easy stuff frankly anybody can do a show that a few hundred thousand people watch that is you know seemingly uh, realistic naturalistic however you want to define it with a some camera the mock documentary mm. that's not difficult to do the comedy of cringing of one note embarrassment there's a million of them around you mm. know they're the easy ones to make the difficult ones are where you have to create a gallery of characters mm. give them all distinctive attitudes and create stories that allow you then to generate those do you remember those jokes we talked about yes, earlier that's right, yeah, and I think jokes, that, yes. but I think I we should down. aspire to doing this <laughs> we shouldn't look down on it we should want to do it we should want to write the next Frasier mm. yeah. what joy my, again my son introduced me to Frasier again he, he's only 13 he's now watching all these shows for the first time he said what a great show these wonderful characters those there's funny like, there's lines there's 170 of them yeah. you know. but that's to do with professional writers being mm. given a living wage yeah. to work on it and it's really hard at the moment because yeah. nobody has the resources to do well, that. except you say that, but radio is the one that does because I because yeah, the only reason I've got experience I've written uh, written or co-written uh, about 110 half hours, um, and so and some of those are TV, but actually uh, about 60, 70 of those are radio yeah. episodes of either my own sitcom or 
40 old episodes and of Milton Jones. And you can make Jones. a good living doing that. You can that. make, a, you know, make yeah. a, you can make a living. Let's not say how quite good it is. Um, but it does mean that when you do end up um, being commissioned uh, for a mainstream show or you're part of it, you've actually got the skills, you've got the... Uh, you've got stuff to fall back on as well and you've got the emotional stuff in place as well actually quite early on I did a sitcom called Think the Unthinkable and we tried to get it onto TV and it didn't go and I was obviously extremely disappointed at the time looking back I can see I I wasn't ready for that um, because I didn't have enough comedy under my belt in terms of half hour you know comedy so so I think you're right that I think just getting uh, getting experience is, is really important is, and radio is part of the is, solution totally and yeah. it is what I think you know why we have writers who come who come back to us mm. you know they go to television but they do keep doing their radio series because it's immensely fulfilling uh, as I said earlier it's the purest form and you don't you know nobody interferes with you in mm. that sense yeah. but also I think uh, if you do enough of it you can make a living yes which is exactly incredibly but, um, important yeah. that's true but to, to come back to the point you were saying about needing money unfortunately the, the BBC is, I mean, they are having to take huge cuts. I mean, they've been getting cut back and cut back for the last Yeah, and everybody's, ten years, you know, but, struggling to make the best, uh, still make the best shows. You know, that's yeah. the priority, is to get the best possible shows on the telly and undone radio. Mm. Is there more, and I've, I, well, well, I've noticed there is more now, isn't there, where uh, the, the TV and radio kind of barely spoke and, uh, for, for years, and they were in sort of different, different, parts of London now they happen to be in the same building um, but there, there, there was like things like sort of Little Britain goodness gracious me kind of transferred almost sort of by accident from radio to TV but there's now much more yeah of much closer of... and Shane is going to fund some pilots for right. me okay. um, you know that may go to telly but certainly they've got to work as great radio first right um, no I've again I, it's fairly early days because we're only just beginning to to find ways of, of working together but the signs are really promising mm -hmm. um, that there's a real appetite to 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 work together um, and and I think that can only be a good thing Absolutely, yeah. It's more money to start with. It's, it's, it's bringing a bit of telly money into to radio. But right. it has to it has to work as a radio show in its own right. It's first. got to. It can't be a soundtrack to a telly yeah. show. But unfortunately, uh, sometimes if you do do something that's very radio, then there's that immediate. Well, I don't really see how this is going to be telly. So you go. No, that's because I spent a long time trying to <laughs> make this a radio, radio show. Um, but, but again, it's about being analytical, isn't it? It's saying, okay, if it's some, it's one thing on stage, for example. We have a lot of shows that come to us from Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, but you don't sort of think... Um, um, it, you don't um, think that... Uh, you know, it's going to stay in the same form mm. in as it was on stage. So yeah. you adapt it for radio, mm. okay? And the same transition needs to go yeah. when you're, you're uh, looking at a television adaptation. You actually look at the essence of the comic idea, and it usually does come back to character and comic mm. idea. And then you say, well, what, what new dimensions can you add to it on mm. television? Yeah. You're not, at the back of your mind, you're not sort of looking at a, a, like a sitcom idea and thinking... This this is radio with the potential to go to telly, and, you, and your job, your no, much I'm I'm looking for great looking radio. For radio. I'm looking for great radio, right, but I think yeah. Shane obviously must look and think. Well, these actors are uh, really attractive to me, and this writer yeah. is someone I'd love to see oh. developed, and and so I think there's a range of of you know we're, we're both doing our jobs, if you like, and yeah. and, and rightly so. You mentioned about the independent <clears throat> uh, doing more independent. Uh, shows and, and uh, it, it sort of seems to be uh, is it is it a specific it was sort of 20 percent has to be 
outside of... Yeah, at the moment there's a quota um, and that there's 10% of indie business and then 10% which is called the window of creative competition or the walk. (laughs) And um, that can go to either in-house or indies. Window of of creative titles. Yes, that's right. That is W1A straight out of that, isn't it? Judged by the head of better, obviously. Yes, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, So what, uh, we should probably wrap this up, but um, people listening to the show, lots of people who want to write sitcoms, um, what what should they be doing? What what steps are there? Because obviously they're not going to send them to you because you get stuff sent to you by producers. and Uh, listen to a show. Um, If you like it, write to the producer Mm -hmm. uh, because you'll share a comic sensibility. Um, It doesn't matter whether they're in-house in Julia McKenzie's department or whether they're one of the many wonderful indies who make shows for us. Um, Listen to them. Uh, really analyse what it is you like about them and um, and get in touch with the producers. See if there are any ideas that you have. It shouldn't be the same idea. It shouldn't mirror what you've just heard. Mm. But it might have a similar tone or a similar feel. Uh, and, and chat to that producer. The producers are there to enable the comedy. That's what I was always taught by the late, great Jeffrey Perkins. The producer is there to enable the comedy. And the, the best producers will understand, will look at writing talent and say, this person, I get them, they get me. Let's What, what mm. can we cook up? Yeah. Um, and that's the best way into radio. Mm. And also there are these open access programmes which are very helpful. But if um, you know, you're working at a slightly different level to that, then work, find the producer that really, really gets you. Yeah. That's the, the best thing you can do. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's really kind of you. Thank you for spending this time with us. Not we at all. Are... Thank you for rant- letting me rant. No, not at all. No, this is this is all very helpful. Thanks very much uh, to to you, Sean Ed. Thank you, Dave. Uh, thank you to our producer, Katie. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye bye.